Welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor. Calming the Chaos provides self-help resources for people in crisis. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. Thanks for tuning in. And now, let the chaos begin. September of 2023 was Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, and now it's October, and I have to wonder, have we forgotten about the importance of suicide prevention and awareness? So hopefully we haven't, and so the topic shall remain alive through October and hopefully through all of the months in this year and in years to come, because this topic of suicide causes a lot of people a chaos. So fortunately, we have with us today, Lisa Sugarman, who is a columnist and author, and somebody who has her own story of a family uh, who has been affected by suicide. She is a family member of somebody who uh, committed suicide. She's going to tell us her story and also give us some useful uh, tips and resources to use for prevention and awareness of suicide. So, Lisa, welcome to Calming the Chaos podcast. Hey, Tracy, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah it's good to good to see you and good to talk again, of course. And uh, we had a great conversation last time when we just met and you have a story to tell, an intro to do that is expanding on what I already told our audience about you and then some resources uh, to give. So let's start out with you just introducing and expanding on what I've already introduced you as. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess first and foremost, um, I'm a mom. I have two daughters, two grown daughters, uh, 23 and 26. Been married for a very, very long time to the same the same great guy that I found in high school. And I live just north of Boston in Salem, Massachusetts. And for the last, I would say, 15 years or so, at least 15 years, I've been a content creator, but more than anything, I created content in the parenting space. So I've written a bunch of parenting books uh, for a very long time, probably a dozen years I've written. Um, it's really a kind of a humor column, opinion column. And a lot of the focus has been work-life balance and family and parenting. And, and little by little, um, I ended up kind of shifting my focus because uh, about 10 years ago, I found out that my father, who I lost when I was 10 years old and thought, had died of a heart attack, I found out that he had actually taken his life. And it was 35 years later that I found that out. So it's kind of an unusual survivor story. And it really, I mean, you can imagine, it just kind of rewrote everything for me. It mm -hmm. definitely blew up my world in so many ways, in every way. And it really just kind of shifted my focus. It was definitely the catalyst that kind of shifted my focus over to understanding that suicidal mind and understanding mental illness in a different way. And um, it really, I really just kind of dove headfirst into suicide awareness and prevention and became a crisis counselor with the Trevor Project. It's been uh, over a year now that I've been with them. Uh, I'm, I've just recently become a storyteller with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I'm just doing as much work, uh, advocacy work as I can, just getting people comfortable talking about suicide and comfortable talking about mental illness and 
sharing their stories, um, which is exactly what I've really kind of shifted my purpose to do. Yeah, and we appreciate your work. Of course, I, um, I'm really very impressed by the body of work and we'll get to your website later that showcases a lot of that. And so, yeah, to have, and you were 10 years old when you uh, lost your dad to what you thought was a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, I'm an only child, so it was just me and my mom. My mom was, was 40 at the time and it was completely completely out of the blue. No one had any idea whatsoever that my dad had been struggling, was battling any kind of mental illness, had had any kind of depression. Um, and it, it just made it difficult because there were no signs. And, you know, as I talk a lot about when I do talk to people about this, people, people who are struggling with mental illness can get really, really good at hiding their mental illness and kind of having this dual persona, you know, the, the outward facing version of themselves that the world interacts with. And then they have that part of themselves that, you know, that they can't control, that is ill and that can't manage. And that's the one often that just kind of overtakes them. But that outer facade is kind of the thing that makes it tough for people outside to know what's going on on the inside. Yeah. So when you found out as an adult that your dad had uh, taken his life by suicide, mm -hmm. a first how did you find that out? And secondly, were you able to ever understand what it was that uh, that made him do that? So the way that I found out, so in the, I guess you have to go back all the way back to to when my dad originally when he passed away. Um, it was only a couple of weeks after my birthday. I was at day camp. Um, I came home from camp on the bus in the end of the day and my street was lined with cars and they were all family member cars. I could see from the bus that they were all family member cars. And I really had this gut feeling that they were doing some kind of a surprise birthday party for me because it was so close to my birthday. And I walked out off the bus and my mom was there and smiling and happy. But instead of taking me to our house, she walked me away from our house. And I had absolutely no reason to even question where my dad was. It was kind of late in the day, but not when he would be home. And for some strange reason, something just didn't feel right. And I asked where he was. And my, my mom said, immediately, she said he had a heart attack. And my, in, my first instinct was, we, we have to go to him. Like, we have to go to him right now. And she said, we can't. We can't go to him. Daddy passed away. And she felt in that moment, and I'm, I'm so grateful to my mom for this, even all these years later, I'm so grateful. She decided in that moment that just the, the grief attached to me losing my dad was enough. It was more than any 10-year-old child should ever have to deal with, but it was certainly not something she wanted to layer a suicide on top of. So she chose to, you know, give me a different narrative. And that was the narrative that I had. And then I found out 35 years later when I was just out randomly in our hometown, my husband and I were just out eating at a little outdoor cafe. And I bumped into a cousin who was just, we were just catching up and just chatting and we hadn't seen each other for a while. And out of the blue, out of absolutely nowhere, she asked me, if my kids, if our kids had been experiencing any of the same mental illness or depression that my dad had experienced. And I it was just one of those moments, like I had no idea, Tracy, what the hell she was talking about. And I'm kind of looking at my husband, Dave, across the table, and he's looking at me like, what is she even talking about? And so I didn't really question her about it. And, and I kind of tucked it away and talked about it with my mom shortly after that. 
And I had never had any hunch that my dad had any issues, had any depression. And even in questioning my mom, when I asked her, she said yes, immediately, never hesitated. And then before I even knew I was asking the question, I asked her if he had taken his life. And she said yes. And that was, that's how I, that's how I learned the truth. You deduced it yourself. Oh, yeah, you. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. It was like, it was an odd experience, probably one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. Because after I had that conversation with my relative, I, I, you would have thought that, you know, maybe I'd start to question or it's, I'd start to, you know, kind of put different pieces together in different ways. But I really didn't. Like, I mean, I'm sure things were there subconsciously, but consciously, I never thought twice that it meant mm-hmm. something different about my dad's death until that moment when I asked my mother and it just came out of my mouth. I didn't know where it was coming from to this day. I don't know where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's how I found out. And she acknowledged it. And, and then it was um, just kind of being thrown back into that grieving period all over again from like day one, minute one, all over again, different circumstance. And now I'm a mom. Now I'm a mom with, you know, teenage kids and I'm married. And it was, um, it was, it was definitely, it just threw me upside down. It just, it tore me apart. So. Yeah. Yeah, So, so really um, struggling with the loss twice (laughs) when you think about it and as a little girl and then as an adult Mm -hmm. having to do that grieving all over again. And I just have to say that, you know, I would, it, it would be so hard to, uh, have a parent, any parent die at all. I remember when I was in fourth grade, a a classmate of mine lost her mother and I was just trying to wrap my brain around how is she even surviving without her parent? You know, Mm -hmm. she had another one left, but how would that ever be the same? Uh, And you were around that age, right? (laughs) It was the same age, right? I had just turned 10 years old and, you know, you don't think of it in these terms when you're a kid, you don't think, well, you know, if anything happens to my parents, you just don't think in those terms, unless you're someone who's had some kind of a traumatic experience. But I hadn't, I was just a normal kid growing up in a normal little town. And I had had no experience with anyone close to me dying or any anybody like kind of on the periphery of my life dying. Actually, ironically, I, my first experience real like sort of, you know, immediate family experience with death was a year before my dad died. So that isn't entirely true that I didn't have any experience. I did because my cousin took his life. He was 18 years old. He lived around the corner from me and up the street and he took his life. He had been very, very, very troubled and mentally ill forever. And mm-hmm. um, he ended his life when he was 18 years old. And he was about, we were, he was probably, uh, you know, nine or 10 years older than I was at the time. And my parents were very, transparent with me about that. You know, they, there were not details that they told me as much as just kind of the context of his death, which was that he had taken his own life and they did it in a way that it was, you know, it was age appropriate, but you can't get your mind around losing your cousin, let alone losing your cousin because your cousin took his own life. So, you know, that was kind of circulating in my world and, and had, you know, had impacted me in some ways, but you're not thinking about losing your parents when you're 10 years old. And I was, I mean, to this day, it's like, you know, I'm I'm acutely aware and I've always been acutely aware that, um, you know, I have one parent and I'm very lucky 
very, you know, knock on wood, very, very lucky that not only do I have my mom, but I'm with her all the time. She's um, just an unbelievable force of nature. And, Mm -hmm. um, but you can't help it, you know, can't help but go down the rabbit hole every once in a while. I'm just trying to wrap my brain around the whole like nine-year-old with an 18-year-old cousin who committed suicide. I don't even think I knew what suicide was when I was nine. And, uh, and then to be, then a year later uh, to have lost a dad, uh, that that's quite a bit to, uh, to unpack and to experience when you're that young, Mm -hmm. uh, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, so I have to say, I'm sorry for your losses. Uh, that you. is a lot that. for a little girl and a grown woman to go through. And it, I just have to ask too about the cousin. Was that cousin related to the cousin that later told, asked you about do your no. own kids? Okay. So no, no that's, no, no, that's interesting. You're the very first person who's ever asked me that question. And it's a great question, but no, the answer is they, they, they were on two opposite sides of the family. family. Yeah. But there was a lot of, there was a ton of mental illness. What's, what's come out since learning about my dad's suicide is that there's a tremendous amount of mental illness on my father's side of the family. And you asked me kind of a two-part question that I want to answer the second part. You know, you, you asked me, you know, what were the circumstances? What was it like? And then, you know, what did I think kind of drove my father to make that decision? You know, my father left a note. It was a very, very short note. It was more of an apology and more of an I love you to my mom and to me. Um, Nothing that I ever saw. My mother read it once and ripped it up and destroyed it because she didn't want me to ever find it, which I understand. But, you know, there was was not like a a, a particular catalyst that we could look at and say, okay, well, that, that big thing happened. And that's probably why. With a lot of people... It is kind of, I don't want to say a slow burn, but it is a slow burn. It's something that's 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 building. Um, it's not typically a decision that's made like in, in one moment. But with my dad, you know, we don't know the, the true depth of his mental illness because, again, he was so good at hiding it. And, you know, they, it was a very different world back then. You know, there's no, nobody's talking about mental illness. Nobody's talking about therapy. Nobody's going to therapy and, and you know, really, you know, making it public. So it's very hard to know kind of what he was really struggling with. What I do know is that my dad had a full-time job. He, he worked, um, he was a VP for a company in, in Boston. We live in Boston and um, he would commute into the city every day. So he had a full-time, you know, 40 hour plus commute, you know, job. And then he also was running um, his family's business. So his family, my grandparents, um, were involved in real estate. And my dad kind of, when my grandfather passed away, my dad inherited all that. So he inherited basically another full-time job that was incredibly cumbersome, time-consuming. And my dad's side of the family were just really difficult people. They Mm -hmm. were just very like bottom line, money-oriented people who were not very loving and were not very supportive. And it made an impact. It made a real impact. Nothing my dad or anybody else could do was enough if that, if you can, you know, if that makes sense. And I think it was just a drain on him, an incredible, incredible drain on him. And there were some things that were going on at the end of his life, kind of surrounding that, that we think may have contributed to his just inability to keep going. So, right. Yeah. yeah. 
And nobody can really know for sure what the uh, dynamics are unless you're talking to a person and that person isn't here to ask. So yeah, that's a common core belief. It's probably one of the most common core beliefs I deal with as a therapist is I'm not enough. And Mm -hmm. so when, when when we talk about what we're not, then the question is, what are we? Uh, we are garbage. We are worthless. We are nothing. That mm-hmm. comes up a lot with people. And, and so what we may want to do is look at our core beliefs about ourselves and even uh, what people are saying about themselves, how they feel and think about themselves mm-hmm. is uh, some kind of a, a clue uh, about possible suicidal uh, ideation or even plan or intent and the will. And um, then of course the urge and the action, right? yeah. There's a yeah. lot of steps in between there that we yeah. can take action. There, there really are so many different steps and it's hard because in a lot of ways, I mean, obviously mental illness is an illness. So it's something that's like a cancer. It's like a heart disease. You can't control it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not what, what so many people think it is, which is on a different level than any other illness. It's not, it's exactly right there on the same plane as any other illness, but it's, it's so different because it's so abstract and it's so subjective and it's so unique and it's so undetectable sometimes. So that's, that's what makes it really, really difficult. But we are oftentimes in a lot of ways, our own worst enemy because we're kind of trapped. Someone with mental illness in a lot of ways is trapped in in their own head or in their own cycle or in their own belief system. And it's really, really hard to move out of that to a place of, of perspective or a place of the capacity to deal with certain things. And like, I, I know, you know, you, you talk about, you just mentioned something that triggered a memory for me. You mentioned something about like how we're spoken to and, and the impression that we're given of ourselves and, um, or that we have of ourselves. And I can just remember my, my father was one of three children. He was the youngest of three children. And my dad had a nickname that my grandmother gave him. And I didn't start sharing this until only uh, maybe a year or two ago. She called him her unwanted from the beginning of time. And it was for the dumbest reason you could imagine. There was apparently some some rare eclipse that had happened the night that my father was born and my grandmother wanted to go see the eclipse and couldn't go see the eclipse because she was in the hospital giving birth. So he became her unwanted because he disrupted her plans. <laughs> so that you, that gives you kind of a, an unfortunate okay. window into what my family dynamic was like and the priorities were like, and that nickname stuck and that's what he was called. I mean, he was called that in front of my mother. He was called that, I mean, in front of other people and um, you know, you, you think about, I mean, even if, even if something like that was said and the intention was for it to be somehow a joke, which I don't know how it could be a joke. Um, what a, what a heartless and cruel thing to say about your youngest child that they, you know, are your unwanted child and that sticks with you. So it's like little things like that, just you chip away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So words matter. And words yeah. that we tell our children really matter because they're in this uh, hypnotic, actually, their brains are in a hypnotic state. And so it's mm-hmm. really easy for uh, children uh, under the age of like 12 or 13 to be hypnotized into believing uh, something that is actually not really the truth. 
Uh, she, mm-hmm. Your dad was wanted, just not on that day, apparently. Right, um, right. But I'm sure kids around the world are are being told uh, different stories, like like you're a mistake or you were an accident, you know, mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Uh, I know that that certainly uh, happened in my family as far as I wasn't unwanted, but I definitely wasn't planned. And yeah. uh, and so that stuff sticks with you. And mm-hmm. um, so this is why we have counselors like me and counselors, crisis counselors like you mm-hmm. uh, to help out with that. So I guess what I want to go into is... Um, how we might be more aware about preventing a suicide. Uh, ironically enough, this is uh, October is National uh, Domestic Violence Prevention Month. I think mm-hmm. it's it's DV Action Month, mm-hmm. and their uh, their actual. Um, let me see if I can bring it up here. Their actual um, hashtag here is a hashtag. Oh, everyone okay. knows someone. Mm-hmm. And suicide technically is, it falls into that domestic violence category because it is against yourself and it is against the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess we could probably fit it in there. Um, but I do also like the idea of of being able to keep prevention of suicide in our minds all year every mm. year, right? That that's, should be I mean, the hashtag. That, yeah, well, 365, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what we should be doing. And and it's hard because there's always this, you know, this, this big push leading up to the month of September and, you know, all this talk and, you know, all of these resources that we're, you know, kind of inundated with, which is wonderful, which is so necessary. But then, you know, like everything, it's, it's like Pride Month. We should be mm-hmm. celebrating Pride 12 months a year, we should be having these other conversations 12 months a year. And it's hard because it kind of ebbs and flows and it, you know, and it dips off our radar. But I think that the one, the one way that I personally have found and that I continue to use as a way of amplifying the voices that we need to be listening to, is just to, to, to keep talking, just to keep having the conversations, to be open, to share your stories. It's it's why I just got trained with the National Alliance on Mental Illness to be one of their storytellers, to go around the state of Massachusetts, which is where I live, and and to have conversations with people and to share the story of my dad. And and in doing that, it's it's a way of connecting with people. It's a it's a bridge that connects people with a community that's there for them and other people who have experienced something like what they've experienced. It's a safe place. And, and they're hard, really super hard conversations to have, but they're such necessary conversations because Mm -hmm. the more that we have them, the, the more that we chip away at that stigma and we get to dilute that stigma. So it's not as impactful anymore. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't hold us back from either, talking about things we need to talk about or getting help that we need to get. So um, mm-hmm. that's what I think is like the number one, the number one way to just kind of keep the momentum going. Yeah. And talk about it and continue mm-hmm. to talk about it. And mm-hmm. if anybody out there in the audience is not familiar with national association or Alliance, is it national? It's Alliance. It's the Alliance, alliance yes. for mental illness. NAMI. I just know it as NAMI. NAMI. They have so many free resources and mm-hmm. groups and mm-hmm. they're in every state, I believe. I know they're yep. here in Washington State. And mm-hmm. they just they're just a wonderful organization. I'm so happy to know that you're connected with them and one of their storytellers. How neat. Yeah. 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 It's I, I feel incredibly, incredibly grateful to be working with them. They're, you know, a grassroots organization. And I personally, um, you know, I obviously I, I love 
um, any organization that's going to, you know, promote resources and support for, you know, for any issue, especially an issue of this type. But there's something about a grassroots movement that just mm-hmm. gets directly to the people who are impacted by whatever challenge it is, um, you know, and, it, and it's the people typically who are either survivors of that or, um, you know, champions of that who are the ones providing the help. So it's, it's just a, I think it's just a great way to reach people, a great organization. Um, and there are so, so many, I mean, I'm trying to do more work with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We have a mm-hmm. chapter here in Boston that's very, very active. Um, I'm doing the Out of the Darkness Walk with them at the end of this month in a couple of weeks to support suicide prevention and, and um, resources. Um, there's the Samaritans organization, and there are just so many organizations out there now um, who are providing that kind of free and um, accessible support. Mm-hmm. I might also add that in the state of Washington anyway, in order to keep my uh, license as a counselor, we are required to do, I believe it's eight CEUs, continuing education units mm. on suicide awareness and prevention. And so in order to keep our license, we do need to have part of our continuing education credits dedicated uh, to that. And so, yeah, there there are some signs that you can look for uh, mm-hmm. as far as uh, people. I think the number one thing is going to be depression and yeah. low self-esteem. People who mm-hmm. are talking very negatively about themselves or talking about lack of purpose, lack of meaning. Yeah. I don't do anything. I'm worthless. Mm-hmm. You, you really need to be uh, paying attention to the language uh, that people are uh, talking about uh, in regards to themselves. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you want to also look for if they suddenly change their mood and they're a little bit more happy or purposeful because they could have a plan and they could be happy about that plan. Yeah. So yeah. that goes back to what you said about talking to talk to your friends, talk to your family members, just noticing. And uh, I think people are, you know, by nature, we're self-centered. We think about ourselves a lot yeah, and uh, look outward, look, look at your neighbors, look at your friends, look at your family and notice mm-hmm. and um, observe if somebody's not calling you or if somebody seems a little different and start to talk about it a little bit more. And there's all kinds of, I mean, from medication to therapy, to mm-hmm. learning skills, to self-help yeah. books, there's all kinds of resources out there. In fact, we're going to visit your website uh, soon here and you have an extensive list of resources. I was thinking about uh, stealing some of them from my own Please. website because they yes, are amazing all. resources. <laughs> take them all. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I've got a really good uh, group of them all already, but boy, you have some that I don't have. So there you go. Well, I'm 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 glad. I'm happy to share with you and with anybody who may be watching or listening because um, there are so many organizations out there. You can reach people by text. You can reach people by phone. Mm-hmm. You can reach people in person. Um, there are support groups everywhere and and like you said, I mean, there are there are so many different signs and signals that people can put out there or or not put out there. And we just we do have, have to actively be watching and listening to people and not just talking in a way that we're sharing stories, but we need to be asking questions, periodically checking in on our people and just giving them the space and and that um 
that safe place to, to be able to be vulnerable because people are afraid. People are afraid of, well, what's the outcome going to be if I really share how I feel, which is why we have to be paying close attention because like you said, I mean, people may be acting decidedly different from yeah. the way that they have before. They might withdraw. You might start to, you, you might start to watch someone cancel plans more often. Maybe they're not picking up the phone as often. Maybe they're not answering your messages as often. Um, maybe they're giving away things that were important to them as a way of kind of, you know, purging themselves. Uh, there are, there are so many different signs mm -hmm. and it is a lot for all of us to pay attention to, but that's why we're here. Like we, you know, we're, we're here as a, you know, as a humanity to take care of each other. And that's what mm -hmm. we should be doing. Yeah, community. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I also, um, so I have many clients who come in and they're very hesitant to talk about suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, because people are afraid of being reported mm -hmm. and or, you know, the, the men in the white coats are going to come and take them away in the white van yeah. uh, to the crazy farm. Uh, but yeah. that is not true. Uh, suicidal ideation happens to many of us and we mm -hmm. have suicidal thoughts. Uh, thoughts aren't facts. And if we don't talk about our thoughts, then then uh, they just brew around in our head and we don't get anywhere with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing I want to add is, so so unless there's a plan and an intention uh, and a thought, then that's not reportable. And then people feel a little bit more comfortable talking about suicide with a mental health professional or suicidal mm -hmm. ideation with a mental health professional if they know that right off the gate. And I'll it, when I first meet with a person, I'll say, no, confidentiality has limits. And I'll tell them, and that's one of the limits, is that if you tell me that you have a plan for homicide, suicide, an intent, and the means to do it, then that's reportable. But in, any other thoughts, feelings, anything else that you have uh, stays confidential within the therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing about it is most people do not actually want their lives to end. They just want the pain to end. And so what we need to do is try and help them live a more li a life more worth living that is as pain-free as possible, right? Because you can't get mm -hmm. through this life without the pain. Uh, but no, you can't. You can't. Pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a lot that, I mean, look no further than what we're all collectively dealing with right now in the world, what's happening in the Middle East right now. And I know that it's affecting, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I'm Jewish. I, I'm um very comfortable yeah. saying that I am and I'm heart sick and I you know was just in Tel Aviv four weeks ago eight weeks ago and I mean so believe me when I tell you uh you know we're all feeling um you know we're all feeling the weight of what's going on around us all the time especially mm -hmm. when we're kind of collectively going through something as traumatic as what we're going through right now. So it's, you know, um, life's not easy. Of, Let's put it that way. You know, yeah, life, life a lot is, of pain. is hard. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that is, it's so true. I listened to somebody named Andrew Gold and he, he is a person who's a reporter, uh, but he's been reporting on uh, some cults and stuff like that. But he's been talking a lot about Israel because he is Jewish. And he said something that really uh, struck me the other day uh, that it's, it's very difficult to uh, survive in a world where you know people want to kill you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, 
that's that's a that's a loaded it's a loaded topic right now. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who have been victimized in this world. There are, you know, a lot of communities, mine included, who have been targeted for, you know, decades and decades and decades and as far back in history as we can remember. And uh, it's, you know, it's that inherited trauma that we all have. Those of us, you know, the, the BIPOC community, the Jewish community, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of inherited trauma from everything that has happened before us. And uh, it's hard. It's really hard to be in a world where, you know, someone wants to end you and everybody like you. It's, um, you know, it's its own kind of trauma. Well, I'm glad you got to visit Tel Aviv before it became uh, chaos, we might say, right? <laughs> Everybody's describing it as that, as, as far as just anywhere in the Middle East right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, uh, yeah, and any family members that could have been affected by that, yeah. So let's, with that, take a tour on your website here. Let me share the screen with you and see if we can just go onto your website here. This is so exciting. I've never had anyone do a virtual tour of my website before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. So thank so this, you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for all the work that you do, for sure. Uh, oh, this is, yeah, of course. So the uh, web address here, I'm just going to put it up on the screen as well, uh, is uh, lisasugarman.com. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you can see it here as we are sharing the screen. And uh, tell us a little bit about how your website works and what we can see on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you that your timing is amazing, Tracy, because uh, I just probably within the last month finished a complete redesign of my website. If you had seen it a month or so ago, it would have looked um, entirely different because it was focused very much on all of the older content that I've created, all of the parenting content. And I really made kind of the oh. intentional decision uh, over the summer and into the fall to move completely over into the um, you know mental health awareness advocacy and uh, awareness and prevention space. And I really just wanted to create a place, a safe place where people could find resources that, and content that could be trusted, that they could you know, find support through. And um, I really just decided to kind of retailer my website to be that place, or at least to be one of those places. So I just, I wanted it to be a support system for survivors in particular, because suicide is a really unique, it's a, it's a very, very unique experience. Um, it's a very unique kind of grief. I'm also um, just about to start training uh, with Samaritans to be a grief counselor for one of their um, safe place groups, which is um, a support group for uh, those who've been impacted by the grief of suicide. And and so I wanted to tailor something that was specific to those people because there's a lot of us out there and we need help. So mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to create, like you mentioned, resources. Um, I spent a lot of time and effort kind of digging through and vetting all the resources that are on my resources page. It's a fluid document, so it, it, it keeps updating. In fact, I think I just added another half dozen uh, or so within the, the last week or so. Because I want people to have access to those organizations um, with one click and be able to get there. Um, yeah. I also, I share my own 
survivor story, which again, I think is, is so important in, in just, you know, being able to create a relatable environment for people where they, they know I've been through this. They know that I understand. Um, I have also, of course I, you know, I, I have ways to, you know, to, to read all of my old content. Um, a lot of which, as I said, is about parenting, but it's now shifted. So there's an awful lot of content out there. A lot of interviews like I'm doing with you today that have to do with mental illness and, and suicide. And so those are up there as well. And then I recently just launched probably like within the last six weeks or so, um, I launched a YouTube page and it's just my name. It's just um, at Lisa Sugarman. And it's really designed to be like a kind of an offshoot of my website where you can also get resources um, and you can also find my interviews and things like that that I've done. So you can hear different perspectives from different people. But the most important thing I think that's part of that YouTube page now is a series that I just started called the Suicide Survivor Series. And people don't have a lot of time. That's just the bottom line. We don't have a lot of time to sit and to dig through things or to watch long videos or read long content. So I wanted to create a very, very um, short but impactful message, whether it was a message of my own experience or a message of you know what's going on in the world or, or my perceptions. And I wanted people to be able to access that in a very quick and easy way. So I'm doing these videos there. I drop them every Monday and they're probably like no more than 90 seconds long. And they may just be, um, one of them was an explanation that I had given um, a few weeks ago about why it's so important that we kind of relearn some of the language around suicide that we that we don't say committed suicide versus and we say someone took their life or someone mm -hmm. died by suicide because committed has such a negative connotation so I'm doing videos like that that are both educating people and also both just um, letting people know what I've been through and what may have helped me um, so that mm -hmm. I can share that with with other people as well. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I have to ask about the semicolon in your logo. Uh, mm -hmm. I looked at the I is a semicolon. Mm -hmm. I noticed up here. It oh, is. Sugarman. Yeah. Well, what is the uh, purpose of the semicolon? And then I also saw it down here as far as bullet the bullets. Yeah. yeah. I'm so like, I could cry. I'm so happy that you just asked about that, that I really appreciate that a lot. And my website designer, Connor is going to love that as well. <laughs> so the, a lot of people don't realize that the mental health community as a whole, several years ago, this goes back quite a number of years ago, they co-opted the semicolon mark as the symbol for, for suicide awareness, suicide prevention, mental health. And the reason for that is because when you think about suicide, you think about someone, someone ends their story, right? That's a perfectly reasonable way to think about it. If you use the semicolon, you think about what that means in terms of punctuation, pause. it means that it's right. It's a pause because something comes after. There is not, they're not ending the story with a period. Mm it says that there's something that comes after. And that's really kind of the essence of all the advocacy work that I'm doing. It's that our story doesn't have to end. Like we do get to make choices. And, you know, we there can be life after mental illness or life after loss. And I found it, it to be the perfect symbol to integrate 
in a, in a low key way. I mean, it's not like it's peppered all over my website, but it's, you know, you, you saw it enough. <laughs> it's, it's subtle. Um, and fortunately I have an eye in my first name. So my designer is a brilliant guy and he, um, he found a way to integrate it in a very meaningful way. So that's why you see it throughout my website as just kind of a, another, another symbol and reminder of what we're trying yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I'm a counselor. I'm trying to notice those things and also very intuitive. I love these pictures um, and you would never guess, right? You, you know, you look at the smiling faces and happy family, uh, professional looking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, such great. Yeah. And a lot of courage, I think, to put family photos up there too. Thank you. Um, let Thank me see you. if I can actually switch to the resources page and it'll show up on StreamYard. Sometimes it doesn't do that. There it is. It popped up. All right. Great. Um, I'm raring to go. Technology sometimes <laughs> is in my favor. So yes, an extensive list of mental mm -hmm. health resources. Just click on the resources tab. Mm -hmm. And um, so again, that website name, I'll go ahead and back, is uh, lisasugarman.com. And um, yeah, so some of these are local. I noticed from Boston, but every mm -hmm. state has their local resources. But then also there's there's National um, uh, Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention over here, down about halfway. I bet mm -hmm. NAMI is on there somewhere. Yep, they sure are. Uh, I like this seize the awkward. I, you know, that's an interesting one. I'm going to have to check out and mm -hmm. I can probably just be on this resources page all day, checking them out, seeing which ones I'm going to add to my own resource page. That's, on my website. That's great. But, yeah. Um, I've, um, I've either worked with them or um, have been utilizing them myself or as a crisis counselor have been sharing them for, mm -hmm. um, you know, for a very long time now. So they've all been vetted. Uh, by me, and they're they're all um, reputable organizations that are doing incredible, incredible work. Um, you know, some there, you know, there's a little bit of overlap, of course, with you know certain services and resources that that a lot of them provide. But you know, at the end of the day, most of them have kind of their own unique um, little niche in the way that they're helping people and. Um, you know, like, as I said, it's a fluid list and I keep adding to it. And right now it's really just alphabetized and you've got the name and then you immediately have the link and you can go directly to that website. But ultimately, I think my goal is to break them down um, into subcategories just in case people are looking for something um, more specific. As the list gets bigger, I just want it to be something that people can navigate easily, find what they need. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way I have mine organized on my website. And it is an mm -hmm. atrocious color, too. I just I really got to get in there and work on it. But so you've inspired <laughs> me to do that. Uh, so let me look at some of all the other goodies you have here. You have a um, a Facebook. Is that a Facebook page or a group or? Um... Well, at the moment, at the moment, it is a Facebook page. Um, it's just a professional page. And ironically, I do moderate a group. It's got a couple of thousand people in it. It's not a, a, a specifically a mental health oriented group. It was really something that I started many years ago, several years ago, as a companion to a lot of the parenting content that I was putting out there. So I call it the vomit booth. And <laughs> it's a place where people can just come and kind of hurl up whatever's, yeah. um, you know, on their mind or bugging them or they want to celebrate and, and I'll always be there to hold their hair back. And it's in a really, really engaged group of people from all over the world. Um, I don't do an awful lot of publicizing of it. It's always, it's been kind of a, you know, like a word of mouth, but um, 
I, I have been putting an awful lot more mental health related content on there. And that's just, if you go on Facebook and you search the vomit booth, I will, I will oh, let boy. you, I will let you in. Um, but I actually have been thinking um, a lot lately in terms of creating um, more of an online support group and haven't done anything yet, but, um, mm -hmm. but that, that may be the next group that I create. Yeah. yeah. So you're on Facebook. We've looked at YouTube. We'll have all of these yep. in the show notes as well, but you're mm. on Instagram, yep. Lisa I underscore am. Sugarman mm -hmm. and uh, LinkedIn. So very professional page. And uh, so you're all over the place. I am all, so there's no <laughs> I excuse. Am all over the place. I'm a little <laughs> like a nomad. There's no excuse not to visit Lisa. And of course, we visited her and uh, really enjoyed uh, having uh, you uh, with us today. Is there any parting words you'd like to uh, to give to our audience before we close, Lisa? You know, I, I think that overall, I would say, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. It's a hard, hard thing to do. But once you do it, it allows you to connect with people on such a different level and it allows you to connect with yourself on a very, very different, much more personal level. And especially if you're trying to heal from a, a trauma, mm -hmm. there's almost no tool better than vulnerability to help you heal. Yeah, and Brene Brown talks about how vulnerability is a strength, and mm. uh, and I would have to say too, yeah, don't be afraid to be vulnerable uh, because there are safe people out there in the world, mm. and that's one of the reasons why people uh, aren't so <laughs> aren't so eager to be vulnerable is because there's there's some people out there that haven't been safe for them, but there are mm -hmm. safe people there. Nami is a great place to go uh, yeah. for like what you said, just a grassroots organization that, that really cares for the people. So if you want anything that's that's free and um, and safe, and then so you can talk about it, and some of Lisa's groups too uh, sound like they could be a, a real good one um, uh, to to go to, and maybe another one in the future for you. Who knows? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just I'm only just getting started. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, um, wonderful having you here today. Thank you so much for joining us on Calming the Chaos podcast. Uh, we appreciate you and the work that you do. Well, thank you, Tracy. I appreciate you right back. And I, I so appreciate the opportunity just to be here and to get a chance to talk. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, please like, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can also go to www.calmingthechaospodcast.com to listen to all Calming the Chaos podcast episodes. I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care. Howl at the moon or something like that.